Hi, I'm Hakan Hayrich, and you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full Time. It's been an action-packed week once again in the National League and the Cup as well. Joining me to look over the action this week is Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, Luke. And we've given Rob a rest this week, so we've we've drafted in Rich Wharton. Hello, Rich. Hi there, Luke. Nice to speak to you. And joining us on the line as well is Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. Hi, Luke. How you doing? I'm good, cheers. I'm going to head back to Tuesday evening, where I went to Salford versus Maidstone in the FA Trophy. It finished one all in the end. Quite a, a tight game in, in tricky conditions. And after the game, I caught up with the man you heard from at the very beginning just then, Hakan Heretin. I'm here for the NL full-time podcast with Hakan Heretin. Just seen Salford and Maystone draw 1-1 in the FA Trophy and good draw in the end, maybe feel like you should have won it in the end. 100% should have won it. I thought we were the better team throughout the game. I know they made loads of changes, but they've got an exceptional squad here. But we've only been here a week and we're asking our players to give us something different and, and that's what they did. I mean, Equally, Salford had a chance right at the end as well. I mean, your yeah, heart must have yeah. been in your mouth when Rodney ran through. He did, he did, and it's a mistake by Dan Wishart, but he, he accepts that, and he, I'm sure he won't be doing that again. Last man in defence trying to play out, so we've got to just play, play into areas, you know. But no, overall, very, very pleased. We've only been here since, what, since last Thursday. We've been working with him, and to get a, a result like that has been exceptional. He came here with brain trailing here and got a result, played yeah. really disciplined as yeah, well, yeah, and yeah. it's kind of the way you set up to play was to really hit them on the break. We didn't have a forward that recognised forward on the pitch. Yeah. They were all suspended, so we did that. We, we believe that some of our players have got pace and they've got have got enough creativity to get beyond mm. the, the makeshift centre forward, and that's what we did. But we had loads of chances. We take two out of the eight or nine that we had, mm. we win comfortably. It's been a difficult season for Maidstone in the league, but I'm guessing you're looking at it as a, it's a chance to get away from the league and, and get to the quarterfinals of the FA Trophy and yeah. ultimately maybe the final on the trip to Wembley. Why not? Good habits. We didn't lose. Mm. That's a good habit. We need to continue that and build on it. Another good habit is making sure that the personalities and characters understand what's required and the work ethic that we've asked them to put in. And they're all good habits. And we need, you know, of course we've come a long way we, mm. so why not come here and give it a go but we, I think we should have won we've had plenty of chances a couple of open goals a couple in the six yard box we take them we win the game clearly you've been here just a week or so now I mean how have you found it yourself and John so far coming into the new club getting no to everyone obviously it's easier with John because he's got loads of experience and everyone knows you know that I've, I've worked with him before and played for him and he's got a calming influence over certain situations he can't buy experience yeah. he's got that in abundance and sometimes when I'm stuck for answers I go to him it's been fantastic a big football club mm. with fantastic support with the right infrastructure and we're going to give it a go give it our best he wasn't here tonight I mean is there any, anything to worry about no, nothing to worry about he, he had something that was pre-planned before yeah. we came which I know about so I'll be reporting back to him and telling him what I think and that was Hakan Heretin and the, the really fancy the chances of getting to the trophy final they want to go ahead and win it and put the league form to one side other results in the FA Trophy on Tuesday saw Solihull win at Hemel Hempstead and probably the game of the evening Chris the one that you said don't go to that it'll be absolutely rubbish was uh, <laughs> was Ramswatton versus Fylde where Fylde were 2-0 up then pegged back to 2-2 went 4-2 up were pegged back to 4-4 Ramsbottom took the lead at 5-4 and then an Andy Bond equaliser meant it was 5-5 so just a quiet night at the Riverside Stadium yeah, Luke, I, I think that this tells us a few things, doesn't it? First of all, never listen to me. Um, and and secondly, I think what I did say was, 
I don't. I wouldn't go to Ramsbottom because I think File. It could be a one-sided game, and I think um, I think Fylde could uh, could quite easily turn them over. And that's nothing against Ramsbottom. I love going to Ramsbottom, but uh, but they didn't, did they? And what a game! Five all, unbelievable. And um, fair play to Ramsbottom. I think they're beginning to be the the team of the season in the FA Trophy so far. So it's unlikely that they'll make it all the way to Wembley. But even if they don't, I think they should get some sort of special recognition because uh, what a fantastic achievement and of course they've still got uh, another game to go at least yeah step four side of course and they really put the wind up filed and it was a strong filed team as well Chris that they put out it wasn't like they put a reserve team out yeah it, it's a team that would find playing at Ramsbottom quite difficult you know we've been there many a time and uh, it can be quite a heavy pitch it's often quite a wet pitch no matter what time of year you go it's uh, it's always wet in Ramsbottom I mean it's quite a, a big pitch as well but it's a slope on it so these days with the quality of surfaces that you're playing in the, in the National League and you know far down long out of the National League North but they, they won't be used to playing in those circumstances yeah really interesting game so it'll be interesting to see how the replay goes the other game in the FA Trophy as well was the game involving your team Rich it was Telford away at Spennymoor really tough place to go on a Tuesday evening and Telford came out victors yes they did yeah um, came out by a score of two goals to one and um, yeah exactly the kind of game you would have expected really um, called off on the Saturday because of um, the weather that they'd had up there in Spennymoor really heavy pitch I think it took it out, out of us a little bit obviously we're speaking there in the light of um, league games yesterday and we lost 3-1 at Brackley yesterday I think we looked a little bit leggy probably a result of, of, of you know playing on that heavy pitch but we, we got through and um, you know looking forward to the next round now away to Solihull I asked this question last week when you get to this stage now the quarterfinals do you at Telford start to believe that you can get to Wembley and maybe win it I'd like to hope so yeah I, I, I think there's that's probably maybe a, a, more amongst the supporters than, than the players at the moment I'm not saying the players don't believe in it but I think they'll the manager Gavin Cowan be very much keeping their minds focused on on what, what the next task his hand is and they'll think about that, that FA Trophy tie only when it comes round um, but yeah who, I mean, who wouldn't love a day out at Wembley yeah we're certainly thinking that um, you know Solihull's a tough proposition but if you can get through them a two leg semi-final potential of a day out at Wembley fantastic yeah, Chris, how do you see that one going? Because we know how well Sully Hull are doing. We'll get on to them when we review the National League shortly. It's going to be a really tough game for Telford, but one that they'll probably relish. Oh, I, absolutely. And I, I certainly, what Rich would be pleased to hear, I certainly wouldn't reel Telford out. The way they've been going this season, they'll, they'll be full of confidence and they'll certainly give Sully Hull a game. But Sully Hull are a really tough proposition, aren't they? I mean, the only time I've seen Sully Hull, I'll be honest, this season is on the TV against Blackpool, and they really gave them a game. In, on that occasion as well and going really well in the National League I think one thing that may go in Telford's favour is will Solihull be focusing on the league um, a little bit more but then having said that that trip to Wembley for a team like Solihull as well would be uh, would be a real a real fillet wouldn't it the other games that have been made in the draw are Brackley versus Leighton Orient. What an interesting game that is, Chris. Leighton Orient won't fancy it. Brackley seem to get themselves up for the big games as well. And the holders, of course, as we mentioned last week. Yeah, Brackley, well, I think if we if we cast our minds back to the start of the season, I think I was the one that thought Brackley might actually win the National League North 
So that's the that's the esteem that I hold uh, Brackley and they're a fantastic outfit. They're, they're tough to break down and they've got goals in them as well. And of course, they're the holders as well. So it's a it's a mouthwatering test against the uh, the leaders of the National League. And Brackley won't be scared. You know, they've now been there and done that. They're no longer the small Brackley that um, people may have thought a few years ago and may have taken for granted. They're a, they're a real good team and a real tough proposition. And Rich, without giving too much away on, on what happened in the National League North, you saw Brackley yesterday. Do you think they've got a chance against Leighton Orient? I think they, they have, yeah. I would, I would sort of, coming back to what Chris said there, it's only a small squad at Brackley, but there's a lot of quality. Um, they've just brought in Carl Baker, who'd um, he'd been at Nunnick nearly in the season. Obviously, he's got a lot of league experience, having played at the likes of Coventry. And yeah, they, they've just added more quality to the side. You know, they're... They, uh, one to eleven, I think they're they're almost probably as strong as any team in this league. They got off to a bit of a wobbly start, um, but yeah, they they sort of uh, they're hitting form at the right time. I heard um, Shane Boone, one of the players, yesterday speaking after the game, and he spoke about that thing about hitting form at the right time. Um, and yeah, they're they're right back in there, and and you know they're a playoff chaser and defending the FA Trophy. You know to to have, come this far in defence of the trophy is uh, is terrific and the other two ties as well Chris whoever wins out of Ramsbottom against Fylde face Cushalton or Barnet now if Ram- Ramsbottom do pull off the incredible and, and do get through then they've got another home tie and whoever wins out of Cushalton and Barnet won't fancy going there either and whoever wins out of Cushalton and Barnet won't fancy going to Fylde either so you feel it's <laughs> advantage the home side in that tie don't you yeah, well, definitely. I mean, they're both they're both long journeys, aren't they? To uh, to those to those places. It you know, it may even be a, an overnight. Depending on who won, they might stay overnight as well. I think Ramsbottom. If Ramsbottom did manage to do the uh, the difficult job of of overcoming Fylde, I wonder whether they would want a big team like Barnet coming up, or they'd want a team with with all due respect to Carl Shelton, um, you know, Carl Shelton, who they could be. And the other, the final tie in that round, it's Stockport County. They've got home tie against the winners of Salford City versus Maidstone. Jim Gannon was an interested spectator as he as he munched on his pie and peas and gravy, which he seemed to be very much enjoying. But he'll have been. He'll have also been a, um, an interested onlooker to think that they can basically beat Salford or Maidstone at Edgeley Park. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think most Stockport County fans will be hoping Salford come through that uh, that tie because they would love to have a crack at Salford at Edgeley Park in, in such a high-profile fixture. And I think that whilst the FA Trophy hasn't really brought the, the Stockport County fans out in the past, I think this this one really will. A quarter-final against... Uh, well, local rivals, aren't they? They're only just up the road and they played each other last season. Uh, Stockport have got a really good record against uh, Salford as well, but this is a different Salford team now, isn't it? Obviously, we'll come on to what happened to them at the weekend shortly, but uh, they're, they're a team full of stars, aren't they? And it'd be a, a difficult proposition. Yeah, as Hakan Hayretton said in his interview, that Salford, they didn't play the, the full strongest 11 but they've still got quality where whoever they play really and you feel that that quality should oversee a National League North team but as you say going to Edgy Park is no ordinary National League North team is it? 
Yeah, but like you, like you said, they've got to overcome Maidstone first, and they, they struggle to do that at home, and that's going to be a, a really tricky one, a really tricky midweek task to, to go all the way down to Maidstone. They'll have to leave really early, because obviously they're going to have to get around that M25, and it's <laughs> it's going to be a tough task. So, um, yeah, I would say that, that replay is probably a 50-50 one, in my, in my view. We'll look at the action in the National League now. Hi, this is Justin Edinburgh, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. In the National League, we talked about a long trip for Salford. Well, they had one on Saturday where they had to go down to Essex facing the bottom side, Braintree, and they lost by a goal to nil. It was a last-minute goal by Callum Morton for Braintree, and it sounded like it was a deserved victory for Braintree. I know Graham Alexander questioned the attitude of some of his players afterwards. He said that they can turn it on when they go to the bigger teams away from home, but then they've really got to get stuck in when they go to the likes of Braintree, and he felt that they didn't do that. Yeah, he did say that, didn't he? And really, really disappointing from Salford, and they've, they are losing ground now. Uh, at the top whilst it's still tight I think I watched that goal back on the on the replay on the National League website and it's a set piece and they haven't defended a set piece effectively it's just a ball it's almost the last kick of the game it's hoisted into the sort of six yard box they failed to defend it and, and piled it home and there were some some great scenes there at the end and you've got a you've also got to give credit to Braintree haven't you that's the second win out of three now the, the rock bottom we didn't give them a chance about three or four weeks ago but the showing us that they are capable they can compete against the best and they can certainly do that at home so I think we, we can't uh, look away from the fact that um, you know it's, it's been a great few games for, for Braintree as well What I liked from Callum Martin was the fact he said I knew it was mine he really wanted that goal didn't he? Yeah he did and he did pounce on it and he did absolutely bury it and uh, ran over to the fans but I think um, one thing that will really really please Braintree is that they kept a clean sheet in that game because they've conceded 55 goals in 32 games this season and that's been their that's been their downfall I think there's only Maidenhead who've also conceded 55 so they really need to tighten up on that front And and they did yesterday and Teamy moved into second place and uh, this will interest Rich with Solihull Moors who won 1-0 at Ebbsfleet in a really crazy game there was two red cards apiece from either side I know Gary Hill said at the end like, I'm not sure why he just didn't pull the captains over and have a side, uh, have a word with them but it was a very fiery game but AD Youssef's goal in the 51st minute settled the encounter and Solihull up to second Chris yeah fantastic from Solihull isn't it I mean that's one of those games when you when you have a look after the match and you're flicking through your phone and you're looking and you think oh 1-0 not much happened in that and then you see so on 90, 90 minutes two men were sent off um, on both sides then Dean Rance was sent off on 97 and then Daniel Wright was sent off on 100 what was going on in that game <laughs> but the most important statistic obviously was AD, AD Yusuf scoring and, and what a player he is and uh, Solihull dark horses eh we asked the other week can they win the title and, and certainly can't rule them out I mean that that defeat for Salford and that win for Solihull has put Salford in fifth now and they've got recovering and Solihull they're, they're right on Lake Norrie's heels aren't they because Lake Norrie only drew at Hartlepool on Saturday I think Rob mentioned it a few weeks ago Luke that, and the thing that Solihull are playing with is no pressure no one expected to be up there I think Tim Flowers even mentioned it last week whereas you've got some big clubs up there you've got Leighton Orient Wrexham Salford Fylde are sneaking up there some big clubs with big ambitions Solihull are playing with a free deck really aren't they they're, they're just enjoying the football they're going to places they've won four out of five and wow they're doing so well at the moment Luke 
Yeah, as I say, a point behind Leighton Orient, who would have probably come off the pitch a bit disappointed not to have won it at Hartlepool, but then when they'd have seen the other results, they'd have been absolutely chuffed to bits, I reckon, wouldn't they? Yeah, they'd be absolutely delighted with that. I think um, it's a difficult place to go. Craig Hignett, he's only been in the in post for, I think, something like 16, 17 days, but uh, he's doing so well. And one person that we do need to point out is Nicky Kabamba. He's got three in three now, and he's he seems to be the man they've been missing because he seems to be the person who can put the ball in the back of the net for Hartlepool. And... Uh, Whilst they're mid-table at the moment, they'll think oh, we've maybe got a sneaky, a real outside shot at making the playoffs if we can if we can get on a run of form. One team we've had an eventful week this week where Wrexham Graham Barrow announced his resignation from the job and they acted quickly to appoint Brian Hughes as manager. So I caught up with Wrexham director Spencer Harris before their game against Dagenham and Redbridge on Saturday. Off the pitch this week, it's been quite an eventful re- been a quite an eventful week down at Wrexham. Graham Barrow he announced he'd resigned from his position as manager, and Brian Hughes was appointed at Wrexham. And to tell us more about it is Wrexham director Spencer Harris. Hello, Spencer. Hi, Luke. So, Spencer, it's been a bit of an, an eventful week. I mean, I was at the game at Salford when the news broke that Graham Barrow had left. Um, just tell us what happened, really. Were you expecting it? We've known for a couple of weeks that Graham wanted to step down from the position, but um, we worked with Graham, and Graham uh, agreed that he would stay in position whilst we looked for a successor behind the scenes. So, so we had known for a little while Graham wanted to step down, but. So it wasn't a surprise to us, but obviously it was a surprise to many of our supporters when the news broke this week. So that that'd explain why Brian Hughes was appointed pretty much straight away. I mean, the announcement broke next day, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Graham was fully in the loop of what we were doing, who we were interviewing and when. So we always work really collaboratively with our staff. So, you know, it, it was... Uh, you know, done in conjunction with Graham. Brian Hughes, he's been he's been coaching up at Scarborough, hasn't he? He's been with the Eye to Eye Academy up in North Yorkshire. Just tell us about why you chose him. I mean, obviously he's an ex Wrexham player, began his career there with yourselves before moving on to uh, to bigger and better things in terms of Birmingham and, and Hull. But uh, just just um, just let us know what, why you came to the conclusion that Brian Hughes is the right manager for Wrexham. Yeah. So so Brian's had uh, a long and successful career, much of it in the Premier League. Uh, he started his career here at Wrexham but we, we're getting a bit of a reputation and we pride ourselves on maybe looking for talent in places where others don't so um, a couple of our last appointments Dean Keats and Sam Ricketts unfortunately we lost them earlier than which we would like but moved on from ourselves two divisions uh, higher and we see uh, Brian very much in the similar mould to uh, those two young up and coming uh, managers so we're, we're really confident that Brian's going to be uh, is going to do an excellent job for us, and he's coming in fully focused. Uh, and his first task is the next 15 games and, and getting us challenging and hopefully uh, reaching our ultimate goal, which is promotion this season. Is it risk bringing bringing him in? Uh, no. Um, when we uh, when we took both Dean Keats and Sam Ricketts, neither of them had been uh, managers uh, previously, and we don't see Brian as any more of a any more of a risk than, than any. Uh, any manager we don't necessarily look at somebody's past record and go on that we look for a certain set of skills and capabilities and we do our research and data to find um, who are the people who might have those skills and capabilities and that's what we recruit against so so we've been relatively successful with that 
albeit it's led to a little bit of disruption in us losing uh, a couple of managers to predatory clubs higher up the food chain. I was going to say, it must be a double-edged sword for you to get in these younger managers and then they end up going to league clubs pretty pretty short into the time at Wrexham, only only months really. But on the other side, I, I should, probably it shows that you've done a good job at Wrexham as well. Well, I, I like to think that um, that as a club, we're creating the environment where these managers can be successful. So as, as an example, you know, we having had all of that disruption, we're still only one point off second and four points off top with 15 games to go. Um, Sam, when he left us, I, I think Sam Ricketts is a, is, is a decent fella and, and is going to be a great manager, but he's gone into a different environment at Shrewsbury who were mid-table when he, when he sort of joined them in League One and he's only won one game in ten. So, so I think, um, you know, Obviously, I think he's a, he's got all the, all the makings to be a great manager. But I think the environment that we've got here in, in Wrexham helps young managers to uh, to be successful. And I see see no reason why it will be any different for Brian. Do, do you find it a bit annoying, though? You know, when you bring in these young managers and they kind of jump ship at the first opportunity because it doesn't give them a chance to get a year well, in a job and, and supporters must see it as a bit disruptive because obviously last year Dean Keats left you in a good position and then you slid down the table Sam Ricketts has left yeah. and you've, you've dropped a couple of places but not too much this time but do you want someone who's going to say look I'm going to be here for the season at least yeah Brian uh, obviously we talked to Brian about that when we appointed him into the position we've given him a uh, a long contract to, to show him the faith that we've got in him and that we want to grow together um, you can never predict what's going to happen in football I, I think we were highly unlucky in losing both Dean and Sam I don't think any of the club would have taken Dean at that point other than his hometown club Walsall and obviously we'd done an excellent job in our recruitment in Sam and, and you know we were very surprised that he left us to go to Shrewsbury because you know frankly we believe this is a bigger club than Shrewsbury albeit that we, we happen to be in a, a lower division at, at this point in time uh, but who knows we may, we may be facing them next season so let's wait and see moves me nice on to the next question because you're fifth place in the league it's so tight in the league and I suppose if you can't win the league you'll want to be aiming for second or third place so that you avoid the super playoff and get a home tie yeah I, I mean every, every club it is really, really difficult to win a championship at any level of football. Um, I think we've won one in, in 154 years of our history, so that shows you how how tough it is to to actually win the league. Uh, and a national and the national league itself is an extremely competitive uh, division. But we've not given up any uh, any thoughts of. Um, actually topping the table at the end of the season albeit that's going to be tough because there's a lot of good teams who will all have the same thoughts but if you don't if you don't win the league then the next objective is to uh, is to finish as high up the division as you can because of the the format of the playoffs which I think is a is a good format because it rewards people for their performance over the the life cycle of a, of a season so you know that's the aim finish as high as we can hopefully uh, looking down on everybody else it'll help in that way as well because you have got the best defensive record in the league and you've had that for the last couple of seasons now that real solidity haven't you yeah uh, we have and uh, the majority of the players who, who've sort of delivered that for us you know are uh, you know, signed up on contract, so you know that that continues. So we we've managed to to build a really strong spine of the team. It, it's about adding a few more goals. Um, we did quite a bit of business in the transfer window in January, uh, getting uh, the right combinations and putting the ball in the net a little bit more regularly at the other end of the pitch. 
and you know that that that's the key really to us in the next 15 games but now it's for any you know this is the uh, this is the nervy time of the season for all teams it's who keep, keeps their nerve who builds momentum and and you know, one of those teams up there is going to do that. Uh, let's hope it's us. It's our grassroots football day today. So we've got uh, 1,500 uh, kids from local youth football uh, teams coming today. So it should be an excellent crowd here at the race course this afternoon. And we look forward to the rest of the season. Brilliant, yeah. And getting, getting the kids involved. If they see a winning performance, I presume the idea is you'll come back and they'll come back and, and carry on supporting you then. Yeah, absolutely. Our attendance is, we're averaging over 5,000 this season. We've been the top attendance club. You know, we're marooned quite some distance from everywhere else. We don't get the local derbies that some other clubs uh, get. So we get very little in in the way of travelling support here to the race course. And yet our fans have just been amazing and turned up in, in huge numbers all season. Excellent. Well, Spencer, best of luck for the rest of the season, starting with your game against Dagenham and Redbridge, and hopefully you'll be in the playoffs and we'll catch up with you towards the end of the season. OK, thanks, Luke. Take care. And that was Spencer Harris, and really interesting appointment, guys, wasn't it, in the end? Um, as I say, Graham Barrow, he was always a bit reluctant to take the number one the, the job as, as manager. In the end, he said it's not for him. And they've, again, gone for a young, up-and-coming manager. And as he says, they're putting faith in him this time. Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, as he pointed out in his interview, they are a team who are willing to um, to go out there. I think the quote was, we um, we like to, to look in places where others don't for the, for the managers. And they've, they've found Brian Hughes. He did get off to a winning start yesterday. One thing I would say is, well, first of all, that, that was a great interview. And, and you know, thanks for... Thanks for for Rexon for for doing that for us as well. But um, uh, one thing I would look at with that is that are Rexon a club that do need someone who's been there and who's done that rather than look out for those rough diamonds? I'd be really interested to to, to know what Rexon fans think about that. Um, obviously, Sam Ricketts was in a in a similar position and he's gone on to uh, to Shrewsbury where he's, he's, <laughs> it was pointed out in that interview he hasn't done as well as uh, he, he may have thought, but should Wrexham be looking at, at getting you know a more experienced uh, head in who knows who knows the stuff to, to get them promoted? I'm not sure. I'm on the fence with that one, but it was a good start for Brian Hughes yesterday. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Rich, isn't it? I mean, as I say, with, with Sam Ricketts, you heard it there. I mean, you've got your finger on the pulse down there in Shropshire. He's, he's done okay, but he's not maybe had the impact that they're expecting at Shrewsbury. And, and, and as he said, potentially, they could be playing each other next year. Yeah, there is still the potential for that. No, I think Sam Ricketts has found it um, difficult coming into Shrewsbury. Uh, obviously, John Askey wasn't in post there for very long. Th- thinking back to the situation with Rex, when you say that, you know, appointing, uh, l- looking for managers who maybe weren't on other people's radars giving younger managers a chance I suppose the downside of that is if they do uncover a diamond and they do well then there's always the, the, the danger that they will lose and then that's what happened um, when Sam Ricketts left Graham Barrow as you said sensed maybe there was a bit of reluctance to take the job but he did so Brian Hughes knows Wrexham really really well I think he's been involved um, Accrington Stanley recently as well um, and it, it's quite a long contract as well I think that Brian Hughes has been given as well so they're clearly putting a lot of a lot of faith in him whether you know he's the right man for the job only time will tell but yeah that, that, that sense that sometimes maybe having a manager who's been there who's been around the block who knows what it takes that can get you more I guess it depends what Wrexham's vision is are they looking to the future or are they looking just sort of like um, immediate term I guess from what 
Spencer Harris was saying, it, it sounds like they, they want to get promoted, Chris, and it's, it's interesting that they said they did sit down with Brian Hughes and said, look, we're going to give you a long contract, because I did ask that question where they've had their fingers burnt with the last two managers, really, in terms of Dean Keats and Sam Ricketts, where, I won't say cleared off, but they've certainly been poached by higher league teams within months of being in the job. Yeah, well, that's exactly what Rich was saying, wasn't it? If they do uncover a diamond, they can they can often get poached but what I'd, I'd turn that round the other way actually and on this occasion because what an opportunity for Brian Hughes he's taken over a team who are two points off the top um, they're in that third place they've now won the last two games they're they're an absolute sleeping giant they've been in the National League for way too long certainly for from their fans point of view and you know if he is successful there and it's only going to take you know we're in February already so there's not too many games left of the season I think Wrexham have got 14 games so in those 14 games if somehow they can get Wrexham promoted he's a hero and he's got a he's got a job for the next perhaps two or three seasons at, at least and um, it's something to build on so great opportunity for him and um, one thing's for sure now he won't be leaving between now and the end of the season so they've definitely got someone until May <laughs> <laughs> well yeah when you look at it like that definitely he's interesting as well he said he wasn't going to reinvent the wheel i.e. he's not really going to change much the only thing he said is, is maybe he wants him to score more goals and the game against Dagenham sort of epitomised their season it, it was a 1-0 victory and he said they defended like Trojans which you'd expect from Wrexham as he conceded the least goals in the league yeah, but he's, he's right. They just don't score many, do they? I mean, to be where they are, to be third in in the league, having scored thirty eight goals, when you've got to go all the way down to to Barrow in eleventh position, to see uh, they've scored thirty three, to see the next lowest scoring team in in the upper reaches of the table, um, they've really got to address that. I think we spoke a couple of months ago. I think they hoped that Jason Oswell coming in from from league football um, might add goals to that, and certainly someone who's seen him at close hand. In the National League North, you know he is a he is a good player, but I doubted whether he was the answer. I think they perhaps need to uh, perhaps need to look at that and, and work out how they are going to score more goals. Is it going to be loan signings, perhaps, or are they going to have to rejig the way they're playing? But they might not want to do that because they you know they are solid as a rock. Another team who had a good result yesterday, but it was a bit of a crazy sort of circumstances. We filed down at Maidstone where two own goals were the scorers in the end Fylde player Danny Phillips scoring for Maidstone and then Davis scoring one at the other end to give Fylde the lead initially so two own goals not often you see that in a game Chris is it? No it's not I mean people don't really care where goals come from do they as long as they as long as they go in but um, yeah it's, it's rare I think if you look at that on the whole I think Fylde may be happy with that result I think they've probably been they were probably beaten up a little bit on Tuesday night after that Ramsbottom game and you know a long journey Maidstone also had a long trip in midweek I think both sides might have might have settled for that draw yesterday Also in, in the playoffs you've got Sutton who got a really good 1-0 win at Barnet who might have a, an eye on their FA Trophy tie on Tuesday evening and, and they've announced that they've re-signed Rory Deacon from Dundee a really good signing for them and Sutton just quietly going about the business again aren't they? Yeah, we don't really we don't really talk about Sutton much, do we? And perhaps we should because well, or perhaps they might not want us to. They might not want us to draw attention to the fact that they they are just sneaking around. They've been around fifth, sixth, seventh for throughout the whole season. Within striking distance, they're only four points off that those coveted two golden playoff spots where you get you get a prefer, preferential treatment to those in just the bog standard playoff spots. And they're in striking distance and. Um, 
I think uh, they will carry on doing that and I th- I'm pretty sure they'll be in the playoffs come the end of the season couple of results that had massive implications at both ends of the table were Harrogate coming from behind. They were, they were 2-1 down with eight minutes left down at Dover. They won by three goals to two, which pushed Harrogate into the playoff places and put Dover into the bottom four. Uh, couple that with Chesterfield's win over Halifax. Scott, go, Scott Bowden getting his first goal since going back there from Gateshead means Chesterfield leap out of the bottom four. Dover go into it. And uh, what a massive result that was down at the Crabble. Yeah, I, d- I don't think you can underestimate that result. I think that could be one of those um, defining moments in Harrogate's season, perhaps, because they came off the end of a battering last week in the in the FA Trophy by, by Stockport County. And um, to go all the way down to Dover, to be 2-1 down with six minutes to, to go, don't forget, and turn that round, that must have been one happy but long coach journey home a regular listen to the podcast Karen Barry she, she's a bit worried now for Dover they've got they've got to go to Salford next week with Salford's farm at the minute and, and the game's piling up they may well have a chance but I think Chesterfield and, and John Sheridan as we said a couple of weeks ago Chris could really make the difference now couldn't it for them and bringing in Scott Bowden it's guaranteeing them goals yeah it is and you know goals is exactly what they need and they look uh, they look quite handy don't they if you look at their record in the last few games now compared to the to the sides below them they look like the movers uh, they look like the ones on paper who are going to get out of it and you know, who'd have thought they'd be down there in the first place? It just shows. I had them to go back up <laughs> at the start of the season, but it it just shows how unpredictable it is when a team does come down from the league football into this decision, in, into this division, how they're going to do. In terms of Dover, I think where is it? That was a, a signature game in Harrogate's season yesterday. Let's hope that's not a signature game in, in Dover's season as well because to, to lose from that position is as devastating as losing a you know an, a normal 2-0 defeat, if you like. So if that's affected their confidence, that they could be struggling. But look, they're only there on goal difference at the moment. It's a real punch in the guts, isn't it? And, and all the shot, they had a, a bad defeat at home to Eastleigh after playing quite well by all accounts. The, the second goal was really unlucky from their point of view. And also Maidstone, as I say, I saw them at Salford, was really impressed. And do you think the John Still factor could be a key for them as well? You know, in terms, they look really well organised against Salford and with Hacken Heret in there as well. Have they got a slim chance, Chris? Oh, I don't think they have, Luke. I think, um, I mean, you saw them on um, on Tuesday night, so I might, I might throw that one back to you. You know, do you think they've got what it takes to to get out of that? They need to do it pretty quick. If whatever they're going to do, they've made quite a few signings over the last couple of weeks, and you say with the John Still effect, the, the big thing, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, is the home form. They've only won one game at home. The way they're actually better away from home, which is a bit strange, really, when people say you've got an advantage on, on your 3G pitch so I think their home fixtures will be really important going forward if they can pick up draws away from home and then start to pick up wins at home they've got a chance and with John Still's experience and Hack and Hayret and they've worked together before at Luton with their experience they've got a small chance I think you can't really rule them out because you look at Halifax for example Chris they're on a horrendous run aren't they at the minute to so say they lost at Chesterfield and Barnett could they get dragged into it with the amount of uh, games they've got left Maidenhead there's still I say a glimmer there for Maidstone I think yeah I think they're probably a bit uh, concerned about the 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 Braintree are beginning to pick up wins 
because obviously Braintree are the team only a point behind them. Uh, you mentioned Halifax there. You know, I think Halifax's problem is the the drawing games that they they need to be winning. Um, they've drawn so many games this season that uh, that I, I've you know reading on their forums and talking to the fans that the fans are just tearing the hair out because the games that they should be winning a lot of the time. I don't think they'll slip into it, but they're only two points above. And you, if you look from sixteenth, um, Halifax down to Dover there's two points separating you know five five or six sides there say you look at Halifax and you say the draws that was Chesterfield's problem and, and despite them not losing games because they were drawing them they were gradually slipping down the table and, and that's Halifax's worry I mean how do you see it Rich in terms of Halifax and, and Chesterfield do you think they could potentially swap places and, and Halifax could drop into the bottom four eventually and somebody in that bottom four leapfrog them I think there's certainly the potential for that. Yeah, Chesterfield under John Sheridan, you know, got a little bit of bounce there, and and you just look at Chesterfield and feel that they're too big a team to be down there. Halifax are, are going to need to. They're looking over their shoulders, aren't they? You know, there's only two points. I think is the gap now, and they're in 16th place, and and you know they've they've got to be concerned about that. Well, you say Chesterfield are too big to go down. I mean, York's the prime example, isn't it, Rich? In the end, once you go down, and I think Sam Elliott mentioned it early in the season, the National League North is such a tough league. You could put a team from League Two in National League North, and he wouldn't be guaranteed to go back up, even though the fans would want them to. And you, you two have seen it firsthand with York, haven't you? It's not as easy as it makes out. So it's vital that Chesterfield do stay up. I think it is, yeah. I mean, I don't think... I think at the start of the season, they probably felt they'd made a good appointment in, in Martin Allen as somebody who knew the division really well. He'd got Barnet out of the division. Just didn't work. Something wasn't right there in terms of like you know preparedness for, for the National League. Um, and they found themselves in difficulties. You know, all they've got to do, think really this season, realistically, is, is just stay out of trouble, don't get relegated, and then look to go again for next season. And Chris, I know Rob's not on this week, and I, I've said it to him numerous times. I think all the shot will stay up, but what do you think? I'm going to let you take the flag off him. <laughs> you can put me on the hangman's noose here. Are you? Thank you. Um, well, look, I I haven't seen all the shot play this season, so my my knowledge of all the shot is basically what Rob tells me. And um, you know, Rob said they played well yesterday. Um, they haven't played well in in a lot of previous games, but if you look at it from a purely statistical point of view, they're now five points off off Chesterfield. However, they've got games in hand in on Dover. They've got games in hand on on Maidenhead. But it's looking difficult, isn't it? It's looking difficult. And if if any of those teams are going to get out of it, they're going to have to string two, maybe three wins back to back or something to to steer themselves away from that danger danger zone. And even then. They're not totally clear of it, so I think Aldershot will need to pick up a couple of wins. They haven't had any in you know last three, four, five games. So yes, it's it, it's looking bleak for them. But from Rob's point of view, <laughs> I'm going to say they've got a fighting chance. <laughs> <laughs> Watch your splinters, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, M- massive game from on Tuesday night. Actually, they face Solihull Moors. I'm sure it'll be a game that that Rich is interested in as well. And I think Gavin Cowan will probably be down to watch that one as well. Rich, won't he? Well, we've got a game on Tuesday, so he'll, he won't, he'll, yeah. he'll have to send somebody else. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, he, he'll he'll keep he'll be keeping a close eye on things. I know he's got Darren Acton, who's the goalkeeping coach at Solihull, was on our staff earlier in the season, and I know you know they've been in touch with one another almost as soon as it it was apparent that we're going to be playing one another. Gavin knows Solihull really well as well. He was um, first team coach under Marcus Bignett when they actually won National League North. Things have changed 
you know, there since, you know, I can't imagine there's that many of the players are the same and, and, and the staff will have changed. But it's a club he knows and, yeah, he'll it, be, it, you know, he'll it, have somebody down there taking a look at them, I'm sure. If all else fails, we'll get Rob to send a scouting report up to, to Telford for him. <laughs> <laughs> all, all information gratefully received, I'm sure. Yeah, the the one thing for Solihull is they have got Maxwell and Danny Wright both suspended for that game on Tuesday, so everyone knows about Danny Wright's impact in the Solihull team, so it, it gives all the shot a slight advantage, and also Solihull might have to play a slightly different way to my, what they might do against Telford, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I think, you know, I saw that, you know, two dismissals yesterday, in some senses you know, that that might give a false, if anybody from Telford does go down to take a look at them on Tuesday, they might get a slightly false perception of Solihull, but, you know, I think to be second in the league, I think probably people know well enough what Solihull are about by this point in time. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, Gavin Cowan, amongst any other managers are facing them soon, you're going to know exactly what they're about. They were both a violent conduct as well, so I think they'll both get a three-game ban, so they probably actually won't play against Telford, if that's the case, unless they, they appeal it for whatever reason. Yeah, it crossed my mind. I wasn't exactly sure how the suspensions work, because I know that suspensions are... Um, competition specific now but that doesn't necessarily apply to red cards and if you get sent off in the trophy that carries over to league games I don't know if the same works in reverse yeah that would be a little boost for us if they um, if they weren't available but yeah, we've, they're still going to be a tough proposition I don't think it matters who Solihull put out on the day against Telford you know we're going to have to be at our best to, to, to get something from them Excellent so now we're going to move on to the National League North Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full-Time Podcast. And in the National League North, Chris, the division, it keeps uh, it's a gift that keeps on giving that division, isn't it? I mean, you look at Charlie, they went to Southport, who've been in decent form, but at half-time, it was 4-1 to Southport. And then there's three goals in injury time, and the game finished 5-3 to Southport in the end, both Newby brothers getting on the score sheet. Well, it was an eventful game at Hague Avenue. I think that's an understatement, Luke, isn't it? It was an eventful game. It was something that, you know, no one could have predicted. However, you know, Southport, apart from, uh, you know, they have lost a, a couple as well. And so for them to come out of the traps like that probably really surprised Chorley yesterday. And Chorley just, I mean, when you concede four goals, 4 nil down, you've got a difficult job to come back, haven't you? I think, can you say there was a newbie hat-trick? Am I allowed to say that? Does that count? A newbie family hat-trick? Yeah, I think game? it's more when they sit down at the dinner table uh, over the weekend. I think <laughs> it's something they can chat about, certainly. I don't think you can call it a hat-trick, though. <laughs> I think it was actually a hat trick for for Alex because Elliot had gone off by that point. So um, yeah, I, I think he, the, the goal that's been credited to Elliot is actually Alex's. So I think it's a, it's a genuine Alex Newby hat trick. Oh, brilliant! Oh well, there you go. So they can say that then. I've looked at some comments from from Liam Watson, and he said. They got beaten by Chorley 4-0. Uh, early on in the season, he said it was one of the worst worst performances that he's seen as a, as a manager. And I think there was a little bit of revenge or a little bit of a score he wanted to settle with, with Chorley yesterday. And still, nonetheless, a really surprising result. But what a game to be at. I mean, uh, you got your money's worth in th- at that one, didn't you? To be fair, it's probably easy to make the mistake of getting the Newby brothers mixed up in it. So we'll let off whoever was uh, was ever um, passing that through to the National League. I think, yeah, I think as, as twins, most definitely, yeah. You had Alex last year, didn't you, Richard Telford? 
Is that right? Uh, no, we had we had Elliot. Elliot brother, but, <laughs> there um, you go. <laughs> yeah, and they, they actually they played against one another towards the end of last season, surely Telford game, and they both scored for their respective sides. Um, but yeah, they've been reunited this season at Chorley. One on left wing, one on the right wing, which I think kind of mirrors how they played um, as schoolboys in their school and local team. And then I think they went to Bolton Wanderers and did something very similar. So uh, yeah, they're quite a double act. What a pain if the managers like switch Frank, switch flanks, boys. You'd be like, oh god, wouldn't you? You wouldn't know which one was which <laughs> if, if you didn't see the numbers. And you can see why I'm getting confused. But then I'm easily confused anyway. <laughs> it's still advantage Charlie, I think. Because because Chris Stockport County had an opportunity to go within a point of Charlie, but in the end only drew it Geisley, the draw specialist Geisley. Yeah, how often does that happen? They've been matching each other every week. They've both been winning games, and then when one loses, the other one doesn't win. But I know they were very difficult conditions. I think there was a pitch inspection um, not too long before kickoff as well, just to see if the game could go ahead. So it was a very, very wet pitch there. I believe that uh, Darren Stevenson's goal was probably offside that put Stockport County ahead. And I know that County did have a little bit of luck in other areas as well. So in the end, I think Jim Gannon was actually was actually quite pleased. With, with getting a point although it does damage that uh, run of 10, 10 wins in a row if you look at it positively you think well they've actually gained a point on Chorley but I think of the top three I think the real winners there are, are Spennymore who actually didn't play yesterday so not a bad day for them considering they didn't even put a shirt on yeah Jim Jim Gannon did say that he did give credit to Geisley in the second half and said that they did deserve the draw and they're a funny one Geisley aren't they Rich I mean we, talk, we talked in the National League then about Chesterfield drawing loads and Halifax drawing loads well Geisley uh, have drawn a lot as well and they're only a, they're only a place above the relegation zone albeit five points clear and that's who Telford face on Tuesday Yes uh, they're, they're coming to Telford on Tuesday um, we played them earlier in the season and yes surprise surprise it was a draw a one all so, um, <laughs> Really? You do surprise uh, me Yeah I think people are probably a little bit surprised that Geisley haven't done better than they have I, I'm not sure I ever saw them as candidates to sort of like bounce straight back but but under Marcus Bigner you know he's got a lot of experience I don't think people expected him to be in 119th position as they are now but yeah that those draws are, are costing them that failure to turn some of those games uh, into into three points from one I mean Chris we, we saw them early in the season against Cambridge and they were excellent in the FA Cup and we said once they catch up with the games in hand that they'll, they'll probably be comfortably mid-table and it's not happened because of those draws now granted they have got a couple of games in hand on, on the teams above them but do you think it's a, uh, it's a disappointing season from a Geisley point of view? Yeah well look I think that game we were at was probably one of the highlights of our season as well as uh, as well as guys this season that was a great day but it hasn't really translated has it into the league form I think when you go and watch guys I've seen them a couple of times since then as well the, you know they're tough and I think well look Kane Felix was missing yesterday and every time I've seen them this season he's he's been one of their best players you know he's, he's taking people on he can commit people he runs at people and he scares people and I think they'll be disappointed that they haven't had the performances around him because he has been good this season that would have kept them around those playoff spots I mean a bit like Rich I didn't think they'd bounce straight back up but I thought they'd be in and around the, the playoff mix Spennymore Bradford that was called off due to the horrendous weather up in the northeast, which means that Telford if they do beat Geisley on Tuesday Rich can go up to fourth place they missed out on the opportunity though didn't they as we mentioned earlier you played Brackley you were impressed with Brackley and it finished 3-1 to Brackley in the end it did yeah it was uh, all the goals in the first half we were 3-1 down by half time 
we had an off day, but you can't take anything away from Brackley. I think that was their seventh game unbeaten. That seems to have coincided. Like I mentioned, Carl Baker, him being brought in by Kevin Wilkin. He just seems to have pet them up a little bit. He scored their third goal yesterday. Um, and yeah, they're, they're now breathing. They're now hot on Telford's heels. I think we played exactly the same number of games. I think they may only be a point behind. So a win for Telford on Tuesday is really important. Brackley are in action on the same night as well. They go to Chorley, and that's Chorley's game in hand over Stockport. That's not going to be an easy one for Chorley, I don't think. Off the back of a, a 5-3 defeat, I think Jamie Vimiglia will be looking for a reaction from his players to that. But Brackley are in excellent form, you know, so um, Stockport could be smiling a little bit more by Wednesday morning if if, if that result doesn't go Chorley's way. It is a really tough game, and I think it's one that uh, there'll be a lot of Stockport County fans watching on the on the Flash Score app. It's... <laughs> Other apps are available. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's, but that's the best one. In terms of, of, of Brackley boys, I mean, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that oh, the advantage for the other teams around them is they are still in FA Trophy action. But do you think, Chris, the experience of last year, they'll know how to balance it a bit better and, and people won't want to play them in the playoffs, will they? Yeah, they seem to be past masters at it now, don't they? It doesn't seem to affect, if anything, it's, uh, it affects their league form positively. And that's what you want. You always hear managers talking about... Um, you know we want to keep on that winning run and the trophy just gives a bit of excitement and it's a nice little thing to have going on the on the side and it's doing them no harm at all because they've won four out of the last four league games as well and they're beginning to well they're in amongst a bunch of teams including Telford and Bradford Park Avenue and Altrincham they're in amongst a bunch of teams that are really fighting for those playoff spots what I want to talk to you about now, guys, is the situation at, at Chester. I mean, I'm surprised at how much they've slipped. They got absolutely battered 4-1 at Kidderminster on Saturday. Mark Yates' his first game back in charge, and it was a really successful one, apparently. It felt like a cloud had been lifted, a crowd were behind him, and a really convincing performance. But Chester have really slipped off in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they have, Luke. Um, you know, they've lost, they've lost three in a row, and it, I've got to be honest, it wasn't something I was expecting at all, because I saw them at, at Stockport County um, maybe a couple of months ago when we spoke to Bernard Morley at the end of the game, and they were looking up rather than down, most definitely. And they were one of the best teams I've seen play at Stockport County this season. So I'm really, really, I'm surprised to see them where they are at the moment. And it's a, it's a, well, it's a slide that they've really got to stop because at the minute, with so many teams around those playoff spots doing so well and them not, they are in danger of slipping into mid-table obscurity at the end of this season. And that's not something that they're not a place where they want to be. They've got good players there. We spoke about George Green, didn't we, the other week? And uh, and, and, and other guys that they've brought in. You know, Bernard Jono brought in some guys that they've played, they've managed in, in other places, they're familiar with, but... I can't put my finger on it if I'm honest, Luke. It, it just doesn't it doesn't add up. It is a strange one how they slip so much. And it, but in terms of Kidderminster, Rich, it does seem like, as I mentioned earlier, cloud has been lifted and, and they could be a threat again now. They could, yeah. They swapped places with Chester yesterday as a result of that um, that 4-1 win. Um, Mark Yates knows Kidderminster really, really well. Um, I, I gather, I understand that the appointment's just until the summer for the moment but then perhaps they will look at things and see how they go. Uh, only a few weeks ago, Kidderminster fans were talking about, you know, they, they still felt 
well, they were talking about promotion. I don't know whether they were necessarily talking talking about the title, but uh, a few Kidderminster fans on follow on social media were still thinking that was a possibility. Um, and, you know, results like the one they had yesterday are only going to give them confidence that they they might be able to, to sneak in there. And, and maybe if they do sneak in, maybe that would almost be better than... I think for the last two seasons, they've almost been searched to be involved in the playoffs. And whether that pressure of being one of the favourites has sort of like told on them a little bit, maybe they could do a Bradford Park Avenue. They got into the playoffs um, by winning at Kidderminster on the last day of last season and then played Kidderminster again a few days later. Absolutely nothing to lose and knock Kidderminster out and you know maybe that it Kidderminster a reversal of roles there and they would be the team that sneaks in and, and, and they could take people by surprise yeah and with the uh, with the full time aspect and the way they play the football Chris as well uh, they play some beautiful football so you if they are in that role then they'll be hard to stop won't they yeah they've been a great team to watch over the last few seasons they've got you know, got great ground they've got a great set of fans and um, if Mark Yates can get them going like we think he can yeah they're looking ominous aren't they and particularly ominous for teams like you know Bradford Park Avenue who are on a bit of a, a losing um, spiral at the moment um, uh, but certainly you know, perhaps teams like Altrigan will be looking over the shoulder now, a game we've got to talk about was at the Tameside Stadium, Rich, and I know you took a massive interest in this, where Alfredton were 2-0 up. What happened was, re- well, like, a bit like last week, Rich Steich, he missed a penalty last week and at 2-1 and York came back to win. I think they were 2-0 up and Rich Steich got sent off. Then there was an interesting incident, wasn't there, after that? Oh, yeah, it was an eventful game all round yesterday, and I'm really grateful to... Um... I had a word with Alfreton fan Liam Henton and he filled me in on a lot of what went on. Alfreton were a goal up through Reece Deitch, as you say. Reece Deitch is a player that always seems to something happens around him, whether it's you know goals, whether it's disciplinary things. Um, and then he was dismissed on 18 minutes, so they were down to 10 men. Just a few minutes later, the assistant referee pulled their hamstring and couldn't continue. They put out a call on the PA system for a qualified referee to take their place. Only 204 fans in the Tameside Stadium, so you know the chances of finding one. But they did find one in um, Pam Leaning, who's the Alfreton Town's kit lady. Apparently, Curzon Ashton weren't necessarily happy about her taking that role because they were worried about her neutrality. But after a really lengthy delay, she got some kit. I think she might have borrowed the assistant referee's kit, and and she ran the line. A few minutes later, Alfreton go 2-0 up through Josh Wilde, and it's 2-0 at half-time. I think that half-time whistle came at about 10 past four, something like about an hour and 10 minutes after the game actually kicked off. And Alfreton at that point must have thinking they're living the life of Riley. But then, yeah, Lewis Riley scores for Curzon Ashton three minutes into the second half. <laughs> Two minutes after that, Alfreton's Martin Riley scores an own goal, and it's two each. John McAtee, play we'd had at Telford earlier in the season, he's on loan to Curzon from Shrewsbury Town. He scored with seven minutes left to make it 3-2. And there was even time for a missed penalty as well, or a save penalty by Sam Ramsbottom, the Alfredton keeper. Could have been 4-2, ended 3-2. And, you know, only a day before, I think Mark Bradshaw, the Curzon Ashton manager, had, had won the January Manager of the Month award. At half-time, that thoughts about that curse of winning Manager of the Month, he must have thought, well, this is coming true. You know, they're 2-0 down. But they turn it round, 3-2. I think that's their seventh game in their defeat. Alfreton only one win in their last six or seven. Just a crazy day. If you're Martin Riley thinking, come on, Pam, there must have been an offside in a build-up or something like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Get your flag up, Pam, wouldn't you? Would you would hope so, yeah. <laughs> Alfreton are another funny team, aren't they? They've slipped. And I, but I think, though, guys, looking at the bottom three, 
there is that cushion, isn't there, as we said, to Geisley and to Hereford. Hereford have, have picked up four points this week. They won at York in midweek and they drew two to at Leamington on Saturday. And do you think that those three have probably got too much to do at the bottom? You would think so, yes. I mean, FC United of Manchester got something of a bounce um, under new manager Neil Reynolds when he came in, but it's it's not gone well since Christmas for them. I think they're four defeats in a row now. They've looked to try and bring in a bit of experience. I know they signed um, ex-Blackpool defender Bob Harris um, going into this weekend's game. He's a player we had at Telford last season. But maybe he can sort of like help steady the ship for them. They, they've got some exciting talent in that side. Kurt Willoughby's a, a goal scorer. But they, yeah, they just don't seem to be able to put it all together. And I think that was another home defeat again yesterday for, for FC United. And, and they just can't pick up wins at home and, and that's so important in this league you know you've got to try and convert as many of your home games as you can and then just do what you can on the road I think I would concur it's looking it's looking difficult for those sides down there just purely because of the gap There's, it's not like they've got a huge amount of games in hand although Ashton have on Hereford and, and Alfreton but it's it's looking like a really big ass down there just one point on, on Pam I think um you know what? What a great thing to happen! I was wondering. Here's a question for, for for you two: When the call does go out for a linesman, how do they know that you're qualified in uh, at the time? <laughs> do Do you have to walk? Do you have to walk around with your your certificate at all times, just in case this happens? And what is stopping um, a fan running up and saying, "I'm qualified," and uh, and going on and running the line? I wonder. Does anyone know the answer? <laughs> It's a really good one, and you know, I, I, it, it occurred to me if we could get hold of Pam, she'd be a, a fantastic subject for the podcast. I mean, if she'd, um, I think she's been kit lady at Alfreton for something like fifteen hundred games. Liam told me if she's had a more eventful game than that one, <laughs> then I'd love to hear about it. What would you say though? Because I bet that must be awkward in the dressing room after as well, because. I'm guessing Pam's got to put her, her officiating hat on, hasn't she? And if there's a decision that they're maybe not happy about, she's got to go in that dressing room after, and they've kind of got to go, Pam, why did you do that? You know, normally because you, you go in, the manager goes into the referee's room, but Pam would be in the away dressing room, or would she be in the referee's room? And then it's confusing because I presume you have an assistant <laughs> kit man. The assistant kit man would have to become the kit man, then I'm guessing, or kit person. <laughs> It's a potentially really tricky situation, you know. Like I said, she's she's got to from that point onwards be neutral and you know go into the referee's room. Um, I, I would can't imagine there'd be any difficulties with Kers and Ashton in terms of sort of like having female uh, officials as well as male officials. So you know she wouldn't there wouldn't be any difficulty travelling home on the bus with them. You know if she's um, potentially raised a flag when the player thinks she shouldn't have, but. Um, no, I'm I'm sure that, you know, they're all grateful to her for sort of stepping in. I wonder if Billy Heath actually made a walk home after rather than get on the coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not got back yet, maybe not. But yeah, if uh, anyone does know Pam, um, see if we can get in, uh, get her in touch for the, the podcast. It'd be really interesting to, to just hear about that. Um, we can maybe speak to Pam during the week and, and play it out on next week's podcast. But thanks as well to Liam Henson, as, as um, Rich said, for getting in touch and letting us know what happened at the Tameside Stadium yeah what an eventful day at the Tameside Stadium but um, what a great result for Curzon um, they're absolutely flying at the moment and a question that I don't want you to answer but one that I'm just going to leave hanging and we can uh, we can answer as the weeks go by on the podcast is can Curzon Ashton sneak into the playoff positions 
considering where they were about six weeks ago, when they were probably hovering above the relegation zone, can they now sneak into the playoff positions? I wonder. There you go. Well, you said you don't want me to answer it. I can answer it if you want. (laughs) Go on. Why not, Chris? Why not? They're like four points off, and potentially that—that that was the reason behind them getting rid of John Flanagan. I think they thought John Flanagan had taken him so far, and he just needed that fresh injection, maybe. And why not? I mean, if you go in there, Curzon, tough place to go, small team. Everyone's just going to look at Curzon and players and go, they got no chance, and that might work to their advantage in the end. Okay, thank you, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> you did ask, Chris. You did ask. Yeah, you answered. <laughs> it would be a, a real fairy tale if they could do that. I, I, I look at some of the teams that sort of like gathering momentum at that, you know, towards the top of the table, the likes of Brackley, and uh, you would think that there's probably maybe just a little bit too much strength, just a little bit more quality in some of the other teams. So I'd, I'd, my my gut feeling is that they they won't do it. But it would be a fantastic achievement if they could. I know there was unhappiness about John Flanagan being removed from his role at Curzon Ashton because John Flanagan's a legend at that club for what he'd achieved for them but yeah. Um, yeah things move on in football don't they I'm sure John will find himself back involved again somewhere soon because he's too good a manager not to um, and Mark Bradshaw's really helped Curzon kick on in the last month Hi I'm Jake Robinson and you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast So we're going to look at the National League South now interesting day in the National League South. A few games called off because of the, the weather down in the southwest. Western Supermare were a victim, as were Torquay, as were Gloucester. Of the games that did go ahead, Bill Ricky, they got a big win over Inform Truro City, which keeps them well in the playoff places. And Woking, they closed the gap on Torquay to one point with a 3-0 win over East Thurrock. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and both of those games uh, deserve a bit of a look at in their own right. But I think the only real place to start within the National League South today is is the result of the day, which is relegation threatened Hungerford Town smashing St Albans City, who were chasing a playoff place, 5-0. Yeah, where did that come uh, from? Absolutely no idea, to be honest. Um, it's a huge win for Hungerford Town, their first in over a month after three straight losses. And remember when we had Scott Davis on uh, a few weeks, well, probably a month or so ago now, he said that of the teams down the bottom, he, he thought Hungerford Town, because of their manager Ian Herring could be the team to pull away um, and that's an absolutely massive victory yeah Ian Herring uh, uh, Ian Herring announced his retirement as a player this week and he's now just going to be a manager rather than a player manager and that may well have helped in terms of he can just focus on being a manager now and getting the best out of his players yeah I mean clearly that shift of focus and, and having that 100% attention to being a manager uh, has made a difference hasn't it because uh, not only did Hungerford pick up that win but East Thorrock lost at Torquay. As you said, Gloucester and Western Supermare both had their games postponed. So even though it's a bit of a a bit of a false indicator, that that they're now, they've now got a three point cushion to the relegation zone. And sure, Gloucester and Western Supermare have games in hand uh, and could pick up three points. But the fact of the matter is, they're down the bottom of the league because they don't often pick up three points. So that's going to be a real shot in the arm for Hungerford as is uh, Danilo Orsi Didomo getting a couple of goals the 22 year old who joined East Thurrock actually from Fort Lauderdale Strikers in the summer scored once for East Thurrock moved to their relegation rivals Hungerford Town and has now scored seven since he moved over you know what I say if you can score 10-12 goals for a relegation threatened side that can be the difference between staying up and going down 
Yeah, the only thing I'd say is Eastwick do have a game in hand on Hungerford with only three points behind. So if, if Eastwick do win that, it puts them level on points with Hungerford, puts the pressure back on them a little bit. Absolutely. And I don't think this is a race that's going to that's gonna be over anytime soon. I, I really do think it will go to the wire because all, te- all those teams in the bottom four have shown that they're capable of putting together a, a two or three game good run and then going four or five looking pretty poor. So... It really could go all the way to the wire. I yeah. think the other talking point from this game, of course, is just what an aberration from St Albans City. Um, by all accounts, it could have been more. Um, Dean Snedker put in a pretty good performance for St Albans in goal, and it, it can't feel nice going to a team fourth and bottom and losing 5 0. No, absolutely not. I mean, you look at. We, we talked about the National League North, the bottom there. We think it's, it's a done deal with the bottom three, but. You can't say that, as you say, about the National League South. I mean, Weston have got two games in hand. They've got a bit of money that they made from the FA Cup run where they could maybe go out and get those couple of players that will make a difference for them. So you can't rule them out. And teams like Dulwich and Choro, um, Choro lost. Dulwich got a really good win against Welling, but they'll still be looking over their shoulders, won't they? Oh, 100%, Luke. Um, I think, you know, you mentioned Dulwich there, you mentioned Choro, both of whom I think are, are, are smack bang in the mix. But also Hampton and Richmond Borough, who are, they've got the worst record in the league across the last 10 games. Uh, they got a one-all draw against Slough Town yesterday, which was really important for them. You know, they've only won one of their last six, and they look like they could be in real trouble. Marcel Barrington's come in this week, uh, the former Braintree Town player, and he's he got a 90th-minute equaliser for them. So maybe that can give them a bit of a boost, but uh, they really need to improve their form and quickly. Whereas Dulwich Hamlet, they got a 2-1 victory against playoff chasing Welling United yesterday and that was their first win since the 26th of December so what a huge boost of confidence that's going to be for them and you know they're now looking they're in they're in 17th place below them they see Truro City who had a had a loss against the good Billericay side yesterday so it really is all to play for for, for everybody down there is there a shout for Eastbourne Borough because they've just kind of had a bit of a, a nothing season but they're just, and they're just kind of meandering along now is there, is there a shout for them to maybe get involved in the relegation scrap yeah I said this uh, a week or two ago I think what are they now five five without a win when you look at those results that includes a draw against Western Supermare a loss to East Thurrock and a loss to Truro so not only are they not picking up points but they're not picking up points against the teams around them uh, which is always an iffy sign so yeah, there, there's definitely a case to be made for Eastbourne Borough being in the mix. Um, I think when you go any higher, when you look at Hemel and Oxford, they probably are, they probably are safe. Um, they're 15 points clear of the relegation zone, and I think they are stronger sides. But yeah, really, um, you know, you're right. I think anyone from Eastbourne Borough could be in the conversation. Another standout result on Saturday was, was Dartford beating Bath City's manager Jerry Gilgott, manager of the month for January, who's been presented with that this week. And, and the curse struck as they were, they were comprehensively beaten at Dartford. Charlie Sheringham amongst the goals. Frankly, I, I don't know why any manager accepts a manager of the month trophy. Just give it back. You're, you're screwing <laughs> yourself over. Yeah. Um, the fans aren't going to keep it. You know, that was a, a real tussle at the top there, Dartford and Bath. Um, the win for the Darts puts them within two points of uh, Bath City. I mean, Dartford have been quite interesting this season. They, they struggled initially, um, as we as we thought they would when we discussed it in the summer. You know, such a long-serving manager going out the door, losing the goals of Alfie Pavey, but also that necessitates a change in playing style. They tried their hand with a few, you know, the likes of Delano, Sam York and Kuda Soyanuga. They never really paid off. Um, I think they only got one goal between them. With Lee Noble, who also scored yesterday, behind Charlie Sheringham and Philip Roberts, 
I think that could be the best strike partnership Dartford have had for a little while. You know, both of them got on the score sheet yesterday. Uh, between them, they've got 11 for Dartford since they came in. Uh, and a 3-0 victory over Bath is absolutely not to be sniffed at. Um, it means that in the last week, Dartford have beaten both Woking and Bath. Um, and they are comfortable playoff contenders now. In terms of the, the, the playoffs, we said the, the Welling have made a lot of budget cuts recently, and they're on. They're in the last playoff place now. I mean, do you think they can stay there with the experience of Steve King, or do you think St Albans, who, as, as I say, missed out on a huge opportunity to go into that playoff spot, and, and Wealdstone and even Concord could could nick that last playoff spot? Yeah, it's really difficult to call, isn't it? Um, I think we've got to look at. Torquay and uh, Woking as being the likely the likely top two. Um, they're three and four points clear of Chelmsford respectively, both with two games in hand over Chelmsford. But then as you look down the table, Chelmsford, Bath, Billericay are probably a cut above the rest of the teams who are competing. So then you've got Dartford who are starting to put together a run of form and Welling are just, those money troubles have come along at just the wrong time. I think Steve King's doing what he can to hold it together and he's he is a really good manager but they're really inconsistent you know you look at their last four they've got a win a loss a win and a loss um, and they do need to start putting together some consistency because the other playoff contenders are doing that So Tom is there anything else in the National League South that stands out for you? Well, well yeah we'll just talk about those two games that you mentioned right at the beginning there um, Billericay Town 3 Truro City 2 Billericay I've got I really wanted to just say well done to them really as a club because they've come through such a tricky period across November and December when there was all the fuss and conjecture about their ownership there was numerous high quality high paid players leaving but they've really come through that sticky patch and uh, what they you know they're not likely to compete for the title anymore but they haven't allowed that downturn in form across the Christmas period to uh, define their season people keeping people like Moses Emmanuel and Adam Coombs, who, uh, you know, still still in with a shout for top scorer, has enabled them to really stick in around the playoff contenders. Um, and I think they'll comfortably be in there coming into the season. Uh, and then the other one is is Woking. Dave Tarpey got his first goal since he's come in on a 28-day loan from Barnet. He's up and running nice and early for Woking. Greg Lure and Jake Hyde also scored. So that's a really strong strike force. Um, and once Max Kretschmar's back fully fit after that hamstring injury he sustained, um, I think Woking, again, will put that little bit of iffy form behind them. And really, it's going to be a, a great run-in between them and Torquay for the title. I was going to say, could could Dave Tarpey be the difference between Woking finishing first and second? I don't think so. Um, and the reason for that is, if he was better than the strikers that Torquay had, I'd say yes. But what I actually think is, I think Dave Tarpey brings Woking back up to the level where they need to be to compete with Torquay. I think between... Jamie Reid and Saiku Jane, Torquay have got two t- such a good front pairing that Woking had to do something to keep touch. When you look at the form since Gary Johnson came in, the only reason Woking are still neck and neck with Torquay is because of how bad they were before Gary Johnson came in. So they needed to do something, Dowson needed to do something just to even the playing field again, and I think Dave Tarpey could be that. So yeah, I don't think he'll be the difference between the two, but I think he could be the player that that keeps it a two-horse race right until the finish line. Excellent. Well, Tom, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me, as always. Nice one, guys. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Luke. And Rich, you've been no, brilliant. Thanks. You've been an able deputy. Thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for the invite. And Chris, I'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see, see you next week at Edgeley Park. 
Maybe we'll could, do. Maybe okay. we could do a little NL full time video together. <laughs> oh, I Ooh, about that. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure you go and get me haircut before next week. Yeah, you can lead on that one. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. And we shall see you all next week. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all very soon.